0: Welcome to the Cook Center Podcast, and here's your
1: host. Now two wide outs to each side, snap back to Minshew, tosses it deep, White right sideline, once
0: over the shoulder, the grab made by Winston, cuts it back 50, he's got one man to beat 40, down the sideline, Winston 20, to the 10, he's up. Winston, touchdown,
1: 89 yards, this place is unhinged. Michael Preston.
0: Am I the only one uh, that when Aesop was about 20-ish yards from the end zone? You just started hugging everyone around you. Didn't matter if you knew them. Didn't matter if they were a total stranger before the game, during the game, whatever. You just started hugging them. You You just were hugging everybody around you. uh, That was me. That was me. Welcome to the Coug Center Hour. We have a superb show coming up for you. Yogi Roth of the Pac-12 Networks is going to be here to talk about that football game. Be sure to catch his podcast as well, the Yogi Roth Show. You can find it everywhere podcasts are found. Joe Londergan of Building the Dam, the SB Nation blog that covers the Oregon State Beavers. Coug's next opponent also going to join us on the show to talk about the Oregon State Beavers. Real big stretch there, I know. Um, What a weird football game. (laughs) Just what a really and truly weird football game. And I mean that from the standpoint of I'm not sure I've ever seen two halves look so totally different from one another. You had a... You had a first half where it really and truly looked like... These teams were going to... Just beat the crap out of each other. With points. And... You had 42 points scored in the first half. The game's only turnover as well. And then... Two scoring drives in the second half of 10 drives. So on 10 drives in the second half, there were two scores from the teams. And you saw Utah's will exerted in that third quarter in that Washington State only got two possessions. That's exactly what Utah wanted to do for that entire game. Now, granted... WSU was a hell of a lot more efficient on their possessions in the first half, but like let's, let's just go. W. has a good stat book, so let's just go over these first half possessions. Okay, and this is just in just just these are both teams. Interception, touchdown, 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 punt, boring. Touchdown, touchdown, punt, punt, punt. End of half. Okay, so I slowed down a little bit towards the end there couple of really short drives of just six, four, and six plays. So, all right. Here's the second half. Field goal. Missed field goal. Punt, punt, punt. Punt, 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 punt. Touchdown. Downs. <laughs> really having a hard time thinking of two halves that had a bigger dichotomy than that. But, Washington State came out the winner... On homecoming weekend against the Utah Utes, and I and we said uh, in the show last week that that was, in terms of bowl eligibility, which again I think is a good and fine goal for this team this year. That that was a ball game you needed to win. You needed to win that football game because you know Utah's defense is excellent. Their offense not great, and I can argue Utah had their best offensive game against an FBS opponent against Washington State, but the defense clearly played much better in the second half. And limited Utah's offense much more in the second half. The same way Utah's defense did to Washington State's offense. Washington State had a hell of a time moving the ball in that second half. They had a hell of a time trying to move it. 40 yards, 29 yards, backwards 4 yards, forward 7 yards. On those drives before Aesop's long touchdown. Everybody adjusted in that second half. And like we've been talking about, it's this football team that there's just something about it this year. That they're they're getting that break they need or they're getting that big play they need. And it doesn't seem lucky like it kind of did. And you remember the 2013 season where, I mean, we talked about that before, where it's, that team was playing out way over its skis. They did not have the skill players yet to be winning six games or for a you know, a season in which they do that for it to seem like a six-win team. Washington State at least has the talent at a lot of spots on the field where you look at that and you go, Yeah, okay, no, this this makes sense at this point. Because right now, five games through the season, we're at the win total I thought they were gonna be at. And I sure hope it doesn't end up that way. <laughs> but you're at, you're now at a win total that I, I thought they were going to be at before the season started. And I'm not saying that from this point for me it's gravy because I think at this point my expectations have changed as they certainly should throughout the season. But based off watching that game, watching that defense kind of, you know, I, for lack of a better term, rare up and decide they were going to stop Utah in that second half, Utah didn't have a lot of success either in the second half. Some longer drives, granted, and especially in that last drive, they were shooting themselves in the foot with penalties, but they came out of the locker room and played a hell of a lot better than they did in the first half. And we're going to talk with Yogi here in a few minutes, and like you'll tell, you know, none of these guys in the defensive line are really, you know, they're not going to light your hair on fire, they're not going to play at the next level, really, but they came out and they played hard. In that second half. And that's about all you can ask from them this year. Because really and truly guys. The talent at the defensive line still is not there. And that's fine. But Tracy Clays. I I, I really think that. You know like Jeff said in his post on Monday. That th- this is more reminiscent of a more. Normal Mike Leach team. A really good offense. And a defense that does just enough. To win your football games. A defense that. Is never going to be amongst the best in the conference. Is never going to be amongst the best in the country. But they do enough to allow the offense to go out there and drop 30 or 35 points on a team. And call it good. But I really, you know, again, I've said it a few times. But I think Tracy Clays deserves a ton of credit. This is a guy who could have come in and said, we're going to do things my way. We're going to do this how I want to do it. And he didn't. What works for you guys? We'll do that. Because we, I want this to be successful. You want it to be successful. What do you do that makes it successful? Let's go do that. And I think for me, that that again, we've said it before. It's very admirable, and it's very clear that that is what is they they you know the the shifting of the line in front of the offensive line. That is not that is an Alex Grinch thing, and so much of it, what they do is is all Alex Grinch. And Tracy Clay has said, let's just do that. But I I think the thing I marvel at is some of the mentality that comes from having Gardner Minshew at quarterback this year is we don't care what happened on the last drive offensively we're going to go out there and we're going to score some points and it was kind of easy to see at times the past few years Luke Falk was an excellent quarterback and I know we were really down on him last year but I and I don't I don't want to try to minimize. How good of a quarterback he really was, especially late 14, all of 2015, and most of 2016. It was just he had some real issues with regression last year. But you could see at times when that offense wasn't moving, it wasn't going to move. It just wasn't going to. It doesn't ever really feel that way with Gardner Minshew this year. I don't I don't think I've ever really felt like you know, that offense is just gonna come out and lay a turd because he he he's going to go out there. He's going to score points. And I, that's what I think I'm going to do on every drive. The field goal issues are getting to be a little annoying. Two block field goals in two games. I don't know what the problem is there, but it's clearly something that is seen on game tape that they can exploit. And Blake Mazza before that had shown to be a very capable redshirt freshman kicker. So I, you know, it it's kind of a I don't want it. kickers are so susceptible to the yips, so I would really I don't want him to get the yips. So hopefully we can write whatever the problem is there. But this is just an offense that's gonna go score points. And I think the thing about that Aesop Winston play that that amazed me the most, and watching it in person and then watching it at home again was the speed with which he pulled away from the defender. It didn't look like he was running that fast, but he clearly was. <laughs> and now you know why he's the guy at Z. I'd kind of wondered. With him above Desmond Patman, and by the way, Patman continuing to have a great year, and I'm so I'm so excited for him to really and finally be having that year we all knew he could. That he those the moves he put on that defender, and then to just get downfield fast as he can, and he got there, and 89 yards later, Washington State had the lead. That 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 play, like it did for Jeff in his Monday post. It encapsulated everything about how far Washington State has come. That even in a down year, six wins is the bare minimum expectation now. That we have gotten to a place with this football team where, you know, hopefully this is a thing that continues. That there's no such, you know, there is such a thing as a down year, but the down year is the Cheez-It Bowl. Or an at-large bid because the seven bids for the Pac-12 are full. That is hopefully where we are with this football team. And it certainly seems that way with them right now. You have seven games left to get two wins. And we'll talk about that Oregon State game in a second. But I really don't think there's a reason to believe they're not going to get it. There are very, very, very winnable games left on the schedule. And even a couple where you think you might be able to jump up and surprise someone. But it feels good that the bare minimum now is not, please just go out there and don't don't really royally stink. It is, we expect bowl eligibility. And I think that's safe to say at this point that the expectation is bowl eligibility. I said a couple of years ago that for me, it would be every three out of every four years you get to a bowl game. But they are two wins away for, from the first time in school history, being bowl eligible four years in a row. That is insane to me. A, that it hasn't happened four years in a row before, but B, that. You know, I, I think a lot of the fan base had pretty low expectations this year. And it's amazing that that is just going to be surpassed. Blown by by a team that clearly didn't have those expectations of themselves. And that's a great thing. And they're playing a team this weekend in the Oregon State Beavers that is still trying to find themselves. And the Beavers are still in the middle of a very tough rebuild. They do have Jamar Jefferson, which... You're going to go two straight weekends with seeing really, really good running backs from Washington State. Zach Moss got some big runs at times. That worries me a little bit, but Oregon State's passing offense doesn't worry me, and their defense really doesn't worry me at all. Their defense is kind of one of those, you know, everybody's going to look at that defense, and they they are one of the worst defenses at defending the run in the country. If not, you know, like they're way at the bottom of every statistical category in that way. But is it because they are really bad at defending the run and better at the pass? Or is it because nobody bothers to throw because they're so bad at defending the run? And you know Mike Leach isn't going to get away from throwing the football. It's just not his M.O. and it's not really Gardner Minshew's M.O. either. I would expect them to run it a little bit more this weekend. Especially with Max Borgie and James Williams. I would expect that. I don't know (laughs) if that will happen. But that would be the expectation. But this is, you know, Corvallis has always kind of been a weird... Especially two years ago, you go down 18 points at the end of the first half. Have to come back to win that game. Two years before that, Luke Falk tore the Beavs a new one. But then, it's just... it's. I don't know what it is about the Oregon State Beavers, man. Something screwy happens every time the Cougs play them. And I will still never forget that rain-soaked game right before Thanksgiving in 2007 I insisted to my parents on staying in town for. And then immediately wished I'd gone home for because I think my clothes just now got dry 11 years later. That was 11 years? Oh my god, I'm old. What a way to end the segment almost there. But based on how this team's been playing this season, a couple of close games last two weeks, but they've really taken care of business against opponents that are not as good as them. I think Oregon State is clearly a team that is not as good as Washington State. You saw what they did the first three games of the season against teams that were clearly not as good as them. They didn't punish San Jose State the way I wanted them to, but they still won the game 30 to nothing. They beat Wyoming by... Two 22 points. They beat Eastern by 28 points. They should be able to do that again against the Beavers. I'm not going to take anything for granted again because it's Corvallis. But you should be sitting at 5-1 and one at the end of the weekend. One win away from bowl eligibility with half the season to go. And that's a pretty nice place to be sitting. Yogi Roth of the Pac 12 Network is going to join us next. To talk about that homecoming game and the Oregon State Beavers here on the Foo Center. Hour. Coog Center Hour and we are now joined by one of our favorite guests. He's an analyst for the Pac-12 Network. He's going to be in Corvallis this weekend for the Oregon State-Washington State game. He was there in Pullman last weekend to watch the Cougs beat Utah 28-24. Mr. Yogi Roth of the Pac-12 Networks. He's very generously making us some time for us today because he's a very He's an extraordinarily busy man. He's like uh, the Dos Equis guy in terms of uh, ev- everybody. He's just everywhere, you know. He's just he's he's like uh, Mister uh, Mister Worldwide of the Pac-12. Is that, is that a compliment to call him Mister Worldwide of the Pac-12? Oh yeah, I'll take that
2: all yeah. day long.
0: I think yeah, I went from Do- I went from like to Pitbull there though I think I. <laughs> think I'm, hey, hey,
2: I'm down with either of those. a uh, yes. comp. So All right. I appreciate it.
0: Perfect. Uh, you were in Pullman uh, over the weekend, and I, I I follow you on Instagram because I am a social media maven, and I saw, you know, you enjoying the Palouse and the weekend weather, and we uh, right before we started recording, we were talking about what a lovely weekend it was on the Palouse. Uh, how much did you enjoy your time there? Because I know just from seeing some of your pictures, it looked it looked like an absolutely stunning, just in terms of photograph, just a wonderful weekend.
2: Yeah, well, I'm going to keep sharing some more of those photographs because it was it was amazing. Um, I think first and foremost, you know, and I said it on the show, is that you know in the preseason, if there was one team that I wanted to see or, or as a filmmaker could follow all year long, it would mm-hmm. have been Wazoo, mm-hmm. based on everything that happened. In their off season, um, and you can even look at the last couple of weeks. Uh, clearly, there's been a lot uh, in the news around that institution and its athletic department. Um, so, for me to to go there and see what football can do, and unite and bring people together um, on Homecoming weekend mm-hmm. uh, was a gift. And you know, for me, it's been my dream in my entire career to do what I was, you know, fortunate to be able to be a part of on Saturday, which was the pregame show. Call a great game, Mm -hmm. and then be on the post game show. I mean, it was was literally my dream weekend, man. So, uh, you know, all things kind of came together, and uh, it's really fun. You know, I've gotten to know this. I think the community um, in a unique way as a broadcaster. You know, I don't live obviously in Pullman or Spokane or Seattle, you know, with a lot of fans, uh, but I do a a decent amount of the events for Wazoo in the off season. You know, I'll do Cougar Athletic Fund when they try to raise money for student athletes. I was at the golf tournament over the summer, the Legends event, and got to see a bunch of people outside of just the football team because the football staff isn't there. Uh, so I got to meet a lot more people that were alums that have played there that are prideful of that institution. So I feel like I've got this unique lens into that program. So to see it all kind of play out on a Saturday night and right. have it all in the Pac-12 Networks was really special.
0: You, I, I want to kind of get your thoughts on Gardner Minshew because I know coming into this season – we were all a little worried, um you know obviously his performance at East Carolina wasn't great. I think probably more to do with we've said before the fact that East Carolina just wasn't a great football team last year. I think they went like two and ten um but what did you see out of him on Saturday that you really liked because i th- I've made the comparison a few times. The guy he reminds me most of with just a you know better legs and a slightly weaker arm is Connor Halliday in twenty fourteen Is that kind of a fair comparison to you but and if it's not or it is? Awesome, but what did you like um, from Gardner Minshew?
2: Yeah, I think he's a different player than Connor Halliday. I think Garner. Oh, granted, we have a
0: very small sample size, Mm -hmm.
2: right? And I'm not ready to go there just yet in terms of like big picture comparisons with him. I'm going to call it this weekend, and you know, you got to see some more games. But through the first you know month of the season, to me, he's my second rated quarterback. I grade him out after every game uh, in the conference. Mm-hmm. You know, and you look at the way he played last week, and uh, he was you know almost a ten, in, in all the categories that I, that I chart out when I'm when I'm studying a game or or calling a game, so I, I was really impressed. I mean, you know, I look at mastery, I look at unique throws, I look at can they try easy, which is take what the defense gives you. Uh, right. You know, that's the kind of the green grass element there. His competitive temperament and a category I call pace, which just plays after critical errors, and he was really impressive, man. Like I I got (laughs) to be honest, and and I'm on this kick now around the air raid, where I'm really not buying. um, I'm really just not buying the air raid doesn't work anymore at the next level. Yeah, you really think about the amount of snaps that quarterbacks. Don't have under center when you look at the faces in the NFL right now. You know, I, we did mm. a study on it just in preparation for the game. and It was really interesting. We look at Jared Goff, we look at Patrick Mahomes, we look at Baker Mayfield, and combined, it's less than I think 15 combined snaps in their college careers are under center. Okay, yeah. that's not going to maybe impress anybody because mostly all quarterbacks are now in the gun. But the fact that they're in the air raid where they're really not—you know—and admittingly, they're not taught defenses. Right, they're taught yeah. to go through the progression. It's a pure progression offense. That used to be a knock on quarterbacks, and I don't think it is anymore. You know, being around the NFL a little bit, like like the NFL, they're asking you to be, a, you know, what Mike Leach would call a coverage scientist every snap. So I think you're seeing a guy play really fast. Uh, I think his second reaction game is better than anybody Mike Leach has had, and, and Leach called him arguably the smartest quarterback he's had. I think mm-hmm. he's only had him since May fifth, and he didn't get to talk to him until – whatever, August 1st. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I just really impressed.
0: Yeah. Uh, I want to also talk about his group of receivers because, uh, Yogi, this has been – i I've been pretty amazed at how good they are. They lost Tavares Martin Jr. in the offseason. Uh, he left the team and then decided to try the NFL. Uh, Isaiah Johnson Mack also left the team. So we were all kind of worried, I think, um, about the depth at receiver this season. But clearly not something we really needed to be worried about because – Tay Martin, Aesop Winston Jr., Jameer Calvin, Kyle Sweep, and just an, a whole host of other guys who uh, I you know I, I could run through literally eleven players because that's about how many receivers rotate in this offense. What what to you really stood out about them on Saturday? Because I know I think for me on Aesop's eighty nine yard touchdown pass and or pass and catch and run, um, what impressed me the most was his speed, and it was kind of it was kind of subtle in the way that watching that replay back a few times you don't. Really see him running fast, but he's getting away from the Utah corners and the Utah secondary. What really stood out to you about that group of receivers? Well, I thought they played their
2: best group of DVs, you know, first and foremost. Yeah. They were saying pretty much all game, uh, we're going to play man coverage, mm-hmm. you know, specifically on critical downs and distances. And there were times where Jalen Johnson and Julian Blackman and Javon Gidry won, uh, but there were more times when. You know the Wazoo wideouts one, and I always think it's an advantage offense because you know where you're going. Mm-hmm. But to see that play as you reference on a critical down and distance late in the game, and it's basically backyard football. Like okay, to the wide side of the field, it's one on one. Just go, and yeah. you look at the release and how he attacked the inside of Julian Blackman, one of the top, at least for me, top three corners in this conference, and one of the tops in the country. Attacked him, worked his release, saved himself sideline, and then afterwards had the awareness. To uh, obviously, I think, it was, I think it was Marquise Blair, Corianne Dowd. I can't remember which yeah. one safety, but to get past him to the end zone, and uh, I was impressed. And then, we, we, and you heard Esau on our post game show, and we didn't even have to bring it up. He went right into his story. You know, I I say that because he talked about a story of you know how he's been everywhere. Yeah, you know, San Francisco Community College, City College. Like he's been all over the place to finally get here. For him, it was like an exhale of. I finally made it. You know, nobody offered me, nobody believed in me, and I think that this team plays that way because you look at all the guys, and nobody's a big recruit. Yeah, and that's that's fair for Wazoo all the time, but I think this team had something to prove. And that receiving core to me felt like they were playing downhill all game and just attacking, 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 um, and they made plays when they needed to.
0: Yeah, how much how much does that kind of chip on your shoulder thing? really uh kind of affect play and make guys better do you think because i you know I, I try to shy away from it because it's you know it's not something we can you know you can't really put a number on it you can't really you know it's hard to kind of equate so to speak but how much do you think that that has to do with these guys success because you're right i mean you know winston was not highly recruited if at all tay martin was only getting you know, he was getting some basketball offers he got one from tulane that was really it Gardner Minshew did have between Alabama and Wazoo to pick, um, but James Williams, Wazoo was the only team that stayed with him after he broke his leg. How much does that chip really stay with these guys all four years? Um, you know, especially in these big games.
2: Well, I don't know. If, I don't think anybody thinks about it in the big games. I think if like, no. you think about it afterwards, when you're mm-hmm. like, "Whoa, what just happened?" Yeah. But <laughs> what I think it does is it, it gets you to practice. Mm-hmm. You know, it gets you to work. You know, I just talked to uh, the offensive coordinator of Arizona State, Rob Likens, about Nikhil Harry. We are doing a special on him on Inside pac football tonight. And talked about him as a practice player and the culture that's created. And I think when I look at those guys um, yeah. and you talk to the staff about them, they talk about how hard they practice. Yeah, You know, and it's an interesting environment when you go watch them practice, right? Like, it's not like it's... Uh, It's got a different element of button upness, right? Like, you can imagine going to an Alabama practice or a UW practice or a Stanford practice, right? And it's, like, very much, you know, an organized thing. You go to Wazoo, and it's, like, organized chaos to a degree, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of their offense in a a brilliant, beautifully choreographed way. And I think these student-athletes are really welcome to be them and embrace who they are under Mm -hmm. Mike Leach um, and then use that to... To get to play well, because the reality is in this system is that you're going to get your opportunities, and if you don't make them, then it's on you. Yeah. And to your to your point of all the receivers that played, I just think that they're feeding off of, of course, themselves, their stories, their paths, their practice habits, and also their quarterback. I, I really think Garner Minshew, his impact this year with everything this offense has gone through and his mm-hmm. team has gone through, it, it really can't be underestimated. And uh, I I just, I just am so impressed that you know you watch him in Week One and. I'm like, yeah, I don't know, you know, the Wyoming game, like, made nice things happen, made you know, with the average of times. You look at the growth of the first month of the season against the best defense he's going to see other than probably, you know, you could argue Stanford, but definitely UW yeah, yeah, all season long. And uh, he didn't flinch. So, I, I don't know, I was really impressed.
0: I want to talk. Uh, move to the other side of the football here, Yogi, because I think the defense. You know, we all. You know, we had our worries about the offense, but we were still relatively confident in it. The defense is what we were really worried about this year. Um, and it, it was kind of an interesting for me watching that game on Saturday, where it went from in the first half kind of this minor shootout where you 42 points scored to the second half where you had 10 points scored, and everybody seemed to have adjusted uh, in the second half to what the other team was doing. What was the biggest difference for you? from the first half to the second half with the WSU defense? Because, you know, I mean, obviously the um, nobody was moving the ball as well in the second half, but what what for you kind of made the biggest difference for WSU uh, in the final 30 minutes? Well, I think the, uh, the
2: biggest thing they did, um, I think there was a couple things. One is like you saw the on the football nerd side, like when they started to really move their fronts, mm-hmm. um, I thought it helped them you know, not allowing in the second half that offensive line to just get clear pictures. Now, once they got called for a penalty, uh, I think it was the fourth quarter, they stopped doing that, but I thought that helped them. Um, I thought, uh, I thought they really, and this is like such a generic phrase, but like they played with their hair on fire. Like they really, like the effort was impressive. And I think that's an impressive thing to talk about because they were getting pounded, Mm -hmm. you know, And, and not like, they were running all over them. But, like, it was such a physical game. And this D-line, like, Taylor Comfort, nobody's going to say next-level ability. Nick Begg, nobody's going to say next-level ability. Logan Talbot, right. nobody's going to say interior defensive tackle next-level ability. Right, Dominic Silvas, you know, Willie Taylor, like, nobody's looking at these guys on the defensive line being like, yeah, they're going to go start in the SEC, for instance, right? Yeah. They're all saying, hey, they're they're all going to – they all go to work and the only way that we can win is if we play with incredible effort incredible enthusiasm, incredible focus and they did man, I mean that to yeah. me was was the story of the game and, and to me like, you know, nobody wanted to really to talk about it in the post game show, which is fair because of the Winston catch, but to me the play of the game was the Pallor and Woods tackle mm-hmm. you know, on that, on that drive I mean that to me was the play of the game that okay, now we get the ball back I mean, that was just critical and you know, those guys started to fit really well and say okay Utah you're gonna run the ball just keep running it." and Utah was saying all right we're gonna keep doing it and then all of a sudden uh you know came down to a couple plays and you know I believe a couple unforced errors by Utah that really hurt them Mm because you know they don't get one of those penalties and who knows how this game ends up but I just thought it was the effort that's really what stood out to me especially after you lose a safety and Skyler Thomas and Deion Singleton hadn't played nearly as much as the other guys he comes in and gets beat the first couple times he's in and then settles in and plays really well.
0: We get you the week before you call. Uh, Wazoo game again against Oregon State, and the Bees are really struggling this year. Uh, Offensively, they look pretty okay with Jamar Jefferson, especially I've been really impressed uh, what little I've seen from him. But defensively, uh, Oregon State really struggling this year. Uh, Corvallis always seems to have at least a minor bugaboo for Washington State. I know it did. Uh, last time they were there a couple years ago, they got down by something like, I think it was 18 points uh, at one point and had to come back to win uh, in that game. Uh, What about Oregon State for you offensively would scare, you know, I, I mentioned Jamar Jefferson, and that might be the thing that would scare you the most if you're Washington State, but is there something else about Oregon State that would worry you if you're the Cougs?
2: Uh think so no uh the, the thing with jamar jefferson that i thought was impressive was this was an offensive line against arizona state who's just as active in a different way than washington state on the defensive front they move a lot they blitz a lot mm-hmm. um, the offensive line handled it you know there wasn't a time when i watched the film yesterday where i said oh line's getting blown off the ball O i can't get a body in a body uh, jamar jefferson's making everybody miss yeah you know it was it was really sound and they're, and again, they're going to see an O line or a defensive front that I just referenced that isn't world beaters. Yeah. So I think Oregon state's actually able to run the ball. Um, you know, just based on probably how the game plan is going to be, you know, they've tried to slow down the majority of the games they've been in this season. Uh, the status of, uh, you know, their leading wide receiver is probably up in the air in terms of Isaiah Hodgins, you know, Mm -hmm. hamstring in the second quarter versus Arizona state. I I, I don't know if he's going to play or not. Uh, I haven't heard either way, but if he's not, that's probably their best receiver. They're not a team that's gonna beat you throwing the ball all day long down yeah. the field, uh, but they're gonna do stuff that's gonna make it hard on your defense. So I think they'll be fine there. I think it'll be a limited possession game, um, and then on the on the defensive front, that's where they're gonna struggle. You know, and yeah. you know their, their strength is the back end. So it will be interesting to see how Wazoo. You know, it's the old fifty fifty line, right, from Leach's press conference. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Wow. I do think this is a game where they're going to run the ball more. Mm-hmm. Um, and they should. And they should have success running the ball more in this ball game.
0: Yogi Roth from the Pac 12 Networks. We always love having him on. His insights are awesome. And uh, also, follow him on Instagram. He takes really good pictures that leave, like, before I went to Pullman, it made me want to go to Pullman more, the pictures he was taking there. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, sir. I appreciate it. Anytime, man. Thank you. <laughs> Here on the Cook Center Hour podcast, our thanks again to Yogi Roth of the Pac-12 Networks for joining us. Once again, his podcast, The Yogi Roth Show, you can find it anywhere podcasts are found. We need to move on to talking about the Oregon State Beavers, though. And for that, we welcome in Joe Laundergan from Building the Dam, our sister site that covers kind of our little sister school. I don't want to say little sister school, but our sister school in Oregon. Joe, I've, I've always kind of found a camaraderie with Oregon State. Uh, as a wazoo fan uh, the you know the all-time series is roughly equal and we both deal with a school with a Napoleon complex near us
1: yeah that's a pretty good way to put it and yeah. I mean in my experience you look at the towns of Pullman and Corvallis and there's definitely like similarities and then just the surrounding areas I think we both kind of have that like, blue-color fan base kind of thing going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, and you, and you get the Potato Salad Stadium, and I love Potato Salad. That's, like, my favorite thing in the world, too. I love... I, and uh, they research macaroni salad, too. I could just rave about those all day. Do they serve that in the stadium?
1: Not that I know of but no. I mean that's definitely something that needs to get brought up and excuse me while I go to the grocery store and get some right yeah now, no so.
0: now I've, I've never been to Corvallis before and now I don't have a reason to uh, <laughs> 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 um, first of all I you know um, obviously Gary Anderson departs after last season uh, what seemed to be a pretty amicable split. Uh, on the part of Oregon State and Gary Anderson in that he said, you don't need to pay me my money, which has got to be encouraging. Uh, If you're an Oregon State fan, you don't owe him a ton of dough. Uh, But still in the middle of a rebuild for the Beavs right now, 1-4. Lost to Arizona State uh, by 28 last week in Tempe. Uh, Is this about where we expected to be at this point in the year uh, with the Beavers?
1: uh yeah more or less um you know you go back to the beginning of this year and uh and Jonathan Smith's first year as the head coach and honestly we had that Ohio State game and obviously we all expected that to be a loss um I think just in that game and the games that followed the the rushing attack and the offense has kind of come along Mm uh much quicker than we've anticipated sure um but then when you follow up the Southern Utah game with uh what very well could have been a win in Nevada. I think that was kind of you know a little bit of a disappointing result, but um, other than that, I think this is more or less where uh, we expect it to be. Um, when you kind of level out, the offense is better than I think we expected, and the defense is mm-hmm. maybe slightly worse. So. Yeah,
0: well, it's, I want to talk about the offense first because I want to get to uh, Jamar Jefferson. I mean, the kid has been outstanding this year. He has two hundred or seven hundred and twenty-seven yards of rushing on the season, including a couple of 200-yard games. He had his season high uh, against Arizona State last week at 254 yards. He averaged over almost 11 yards a touch against Southern Utah, and he kind of struggled against Nevada and Arizona, but the numbers on him are outstanding. What makes him so good? He is a freshman, and he is putting up these kind of numbers.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one thing is you can't really – uh, talk enough about how good his vision as a ball carrier is. Mm-hmm. He's just able to really understand where the gaps are. He doesn't dance around too much. Um, I think old school football people will kind of appreciate that he's, um, a good, like one cut and go type of runner. Right. Um, and then, um, even going back to right before he really broke out this year, when, uh, Artavis Pierce was more of the RB one, um, in the Ohio state game in the beginning of the Southern Utah game, uh, he was busting off some big runs too. So I think you, um, Obviously, give a lot of credit to the running backs, but um, this young offensive line has been run blocking a lot better than I think we thought they would. Um, the passing game needs, you know, a little bit of work as well, but um, the rushing attack in general has been great. And yeah. uh, in terms of Jamar, um, his vision is uh, specifically is great and his, his acceleration is uh, pretty impressive
0: as well well you talked about it a little bit I mean you, I mean obviously we're rebuilding here but this was not an expectation in heading into this season I know Isaiah Hodgins might have a hamstring problem uh, we talked to Yogi Roth that might keep him out of this game against Washington State but how's the passing game been I know there's been some trading back and forth uh, a little bit between Jake Luton and Connor Blount but it is now Connor Blount is the quarterback of the Beeves correct
1: Correct. yeah um, you know, you got to feel for Luton a little bit, just with the amount of injuries he's yeah. had to deal with in his short time in Corvallis. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, it seems like he's still kind of dealing with an ankle thing that I believe uh, came up in the Nevada game, Nevada game or the Arizona game—I can't remember. Yeah. But um, in terms of the passing game, I think Connor Blout has given uh, that offense a little bit more mobility, um, and I think that's really what's able, what's helped him to um, play a little bit better in that quarterback spot. Um, I think Jake had a little bit more of a handle on kind of the vertical aspects of playing quarterbacks, mm-hmm. seeing throws downfield and making those kind of connections. So, um, I think Blount's only going to get better uh, as he goes on in that department, but, um, yeah, I think Connor's been great and I think a lot of us were kind of thinking he was going to get the QB1 spot in camp and we're mm-hmm. maybe a little bit surprised when when Luton earned it at the start, but um I think we're we're pretty happy with what he's been able to do. Just um need to tighten it up a little bit.
0: If you had to give a letter grade to the offense through this is the first 5 games of the season. This will be halfway home once Oregon State and Washington State face off on Saturday. What what kind of letter grade would you give it because I know, you know, obviously Talked about how much better the rushing attack is, and we were expecting in the passing uh, as well. But uh, about how happy are you with it?
1: Uh, you know, I'd give it probably, probably a B minus. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, you know, you can't be too mad when you have a, a back that's leading the entire uh, conference in yards and uh, could be, you know, the team's first thousand yard rusher in quite some time. Right. Um, and then you have a quarterback with. You know, very little experience in Connor Blau coming in and, and playing relatively well. Um, and then you look at just the results. I mean, Arizona State scored 24 points. Um, Arizona scored 14, which isn't horrible. Nevada scored 35 points. You know, And those just aren't point totals that we were really seeing in the Gary Anderson era. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the defense was maybe playing a little bit sharper, then we definitely would have been um, in better position to maybe win these games or at least right. keep them closer than they were um so i would say the offense is a little bit better than we expected so um probably a b minus
0: if you had to pick a weak point of it what would it be because I'm, I'm obviously impressed by jefferson i think blount's been praying playing pretty well as well but i you know you notice on the stat sheet what stands out to me is the number of tackles for a loss and sacks given up you got 43 tackles for a loss by oregon state opponents this year 19 sacks on the season has it there been a protection issue for this offensive line because it Seems kind of weird when you know we talk about how well they've been, how adaptive they've been in the running game, and how well they've been blocking. But then you look on the back end, and it's like there's a lot of sacks being given up by this offensive line, too.
1: Oh, for sure. And um, you know, part of that comes from you know some some level of is it, it, some level of it is inexperienced uh, run blocking and pass blocking are just like two different kinds of technique, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, there's definitely issues with the uh, pass protection, mm-hmm. and hopefully they can get that. Um, Hopefully they can get that corrected. Um, So I'd say that's probably answer uh, one (laughs) A, and the answer B is probably uh, just like just injury issues. You know, people can't stay healthy between you know Pierce and uh, Luton, and um, Javon Bradford had some issues in there. Um, just people keep getting hurt, and if people can, you know, if the, the star players on this team can stay healthy and, uh, you know, keep themselves in, in games, which, you know, I understand that's not their fault and all right. that, but, you know, if guys were healthy, then we would definitely be contending a little bit better than we, were, than we are, I think.
0: That sounds so familiar to me. Just, <laughs> just the parallels <the> to <laughs> that are so familiar. Uh, defensively for Oregon State, I, I know the story I've heard is that it is just It's a work in progress, to kind of put it politely, for the Beavs. And what stands out is the rushing yardage. Opponents have gained almost 1,600 yards in terms of rushing, because I hate that the NCAA takes out sack yardage and rushing, and it's so stupid. But they're averaging almost seven yards a touch uh, against Oregon State. The passing defense, just numbers-wise, has been okay. Is this a matter of teams are running the football because they know they can and they're not bothering to pass, or is it because... Oregon State's pass defense is genuinely pretty decent uh, compared to their rushing defense.
1: I think it's a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. Um, You kind of see what uh, they were able to do against Arizona and kept Khalil Tate, who's a pretty decent passer in check. Um, But I guess, you know, some of the based on some of the other games that Arizona's played, I guess a few other teams have kind of cracked the formula on that. Yeah. But um, yeah, just when you watch them try to defend the run that, tackling is just not what you'd expect out of a division one team let alone a p5 team so mm-hmm. i think uh jonathan smith and his pressers the past couple weeks has been pretty adamant about how that really needs to change um and you know hopefully they figure out how to do that um but I, I think that's kind of the biggest issue but you know in in the defensive back core there's definitely some great athletes and hopefully they'll get a few more back when um you know, next year when, uh, mm-hmm. Jay Irvine comes back from a uh, season ending injury there. Um, and there's, there's a few other really good athletes in that defensive back core too. Um, David Morris, uh, was like our leading tackler, I think through like half the games last year and he was a safety. So that shows you how bad the defense was last year. Yeah. too. But, um, yeah, I think the the past defense is, um, I would say that they're pretty good but um just in terms of defending the run, you know, every player on this defense just needs mm-hmm. to I don't know, play a little bit more aggressive and maybe just, you know, remember tackling drills from high school a little better or yeah. something. <laughs> the leg.
0: Yeah, so is is it just the tackling because I know we we talked about earlier how the defensive line just isn't getting a lot of pressure and I know Yogi Roth talked about that a little bit that there's just there's almost no push up front for the Oregon State defensive line and it kind of obviously starts up there with your rushing attack. And I know WSU's defensive line hasn't looked great at times this year, but they're dealing with a big dearth of talent loss uh, that they unfortunately don't have from last year. Is it just an issue of talent on the defensive line for Oregon State right now, too?
1: I don't really have an answer for why that pass rush isn't necessarily what it should be. I mean, we look at some of the guys on that defensive line, like uh, Kalani Vakamilalo, and uh, he just he's a beast when i see him and i've watched him practice and you know in spots the last couple years so it's kind of puzzling that they're not getting as much pressure as they really should be um so that's really strange to me um hopefully Mm -hmm. hopefully that improves because you know i i don't really think there's an excuse there's some there's some really strong athletic guys on the defensive line so i'm not really sure why they're not performing up to expectations right now
0: right Oregon State has a week off after they play, play Washington State, as does Washington State. Kind of looking at the rest of the schedule, this just seems like a murderer's row of football teams, especially the last four games of the season for Oregon State. USC at Stanford, at Washington, and then the Civil War on a short week after traveling to Seattle. Um, the Is it just at this point, I you know, I know... We're in a big rebuild, obviously, but is is this just trying to see some improvement every week for Oregon State right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's more or less what it is. Um, I think a lot of us were hoping, you know, if we get like three wins, that would be, we'd be over the moon with that mm-hmm. after winning one last year. Um, so, you know, after we didn't win the Nevada game, which I think was our most winnable game other than right. Southern Utah, um, i think a lot of people were just you know frustrated that were pr- that uh, it's definitely looking like with that season ending stretch there that that may not happen um so it's it's a tough spot to be in for sure mm-hmm. um if if they can win one of those games i think a lot of people are going to be pretty happy but um i think uh it, jonathan smith is is Quite lucky that he's got this year zero period where people aren't going to be too mad at him. How you know, however he finishes up here, right. um, as long as there is that constant improvement um, throughout this entire year. Which mm-hmm. um, honestly, there's there's been that feeling more or less. Um, mm-hmm. I think just a lot of people are kind of frustrated with you know the point totals and some of these losses, notably like last week where uh, you give up 52 to an Arizona State team that um, you know didn't exactly look like superman in their last two games so. yeah
0: give me a prediction for uh saturday how do you think it's gonna go i said earlier in the show that i just something about corvallis and oregon state has always been a bugaboo for washington state in the past i mean i remember being absolutely soaked after that 2007 game where the beefs came out and just wrecked yeah. wsu the 2011 game where that was kind of paul wolf's final stand as well 2012 didn't go well and then Coops had to come back from a long way down when they were in Corvallis last year. But give me your prediction on how you think Saturday's going to go. Uh, well,
1: I think – I don't know if you can tell from the last 15 minutes or so. But I'm, <laughs> overly, I'm overly confident in the Beeves right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, I from what I've seen of, of Washington State so far, um, I think they kind of remind me of the Beavs – in some aspect and that just in that, I think their offense is a little bit stronger than their defense right now. Yep. But, um, I think Oregon state's, uh, biggest weakness on the defensive side of the ball is pretty easy to pinpoint right now in, uh, in terms of defending the run. So I don't think Washington state's going to get too far away from what they do best, which is throw the ball, but yep. maybe, um, explore some of those, those shorter routes a little bit, the cash and run type of things with screens or some short routes over the middle and just, you know, let their ball carriers do the work. Um, and I mean, we've kind of talked about it a little bit in our like team Slack chat or whatever. But I think Gardner Minshew's a pretty good uh, quarterback, and I think he'll he'll be able to recognize the weaknesses that Oregon State uh, presents. So um, I think Wazoo takes this one by like three scores. Let's say mm-hmm. thirty-five to fourteen. I guess
0: that works for me. Joe Laundergan from buildingthedam.com joining us here in the podcast. Thank you,
1: sir. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thunderhead of the week time, and really this goes out to two people. Uh, Because within a five mile span on my drive over to Pullman for homecoming weekend. uh, Down the hill actually to where they're going to do that bridge repair project starting on on October 15th. So by the way, find a different way to Pullman uh, starting for that game. There was a motorcyclist coming down the hill towards me as I was coming back up the hill. And he just drifted into my lane. And just kept going. We had no one to pass. It was just like literally the two of us for about a half mile stretch of the road. And I laid on my horn, slammed on my brakes, and moved over. And then he noticed, kind of, you know, got the bike back over in the other lane and flipped me off. Yes, that was my fault. All my fault. And then when you cross 390, you know, you cross 395. There's that rest area over there. That has the, uh, the. I will admit, the right turn lane coming back westbound, not great. It doesn't allow for a lot of time to kind of like slow down for people behind you. But someone was slowing down to turn into the rest area. And I was trying to turn left into it to use the facilities. And a Subaru decided they were going to get around that car making a turn. And came within about 10 feet of just head-on right on the side of my car. 26 is a dangerous road. Pay attention. Pay attention to what the hell you're doing on Highway 26. I don't think I should have to keep saying this every single freaking year. And while we're here talking about it, students, if you're tired don't drive. Spend a night in Pullman. Leave refreshed the next morning. That's what I always did. And that's what I know your family would tell you. That's what your friends would tell you. Stay the night. It is dangerous to drive on that road sleep-deprived. Especially with the weather that can be on that road. But still, just pay attention. I don't want you hitting my car. I just washed it. Ask Michael anything time. Ask Michael anything. At WSUCougar08, Rick, what's your go-to drink on non-Pullman game days? I try to do beer uh, because, you know, like, when you're in Pullman, I do try to do some some liquor as well as beer, but it, it's an all-day pacing thing because I'm typically watching a lot of football at home, and all I suppose Pullman is, but just, you know, that has a way of getting out of control sometimes. Uh, but yeah, I go with beer, and then at the end of the night, I finish with some Pendleton. Uh, also some Eagle Rare, I like that too. Uh, and Crown, if I have that sitting around. Uh, at Cam Walsh, Katie Walsh, thoughts on the NCAA Hoops Investigation? I I saw the witness list for this the other day. It is long. And this is gonna be... There's some programs that are gonna have some problems from this. I have a... I have a feeling. But that's... That's... this This is gonna be interesting, to say the least. Um... You're gonna probably see some programs getting a lot of trouble get taken down from this, um, but it, it looks long and extensive, and be uh, interested to see how that plays out. At Sean PC Seven, Sean Clemens, would you ever live in Spokane? What did I see it was the other day on on Twitter? that were like it was like a promo or something. The city of Spokane's running to get people to move there from Seattle for like four hundred and fifty thousand dollars or something. There's you know that's how much the average home cost or something like that. I don't remember what it was, but yeah, sure I'd live in Spokane. There's a direct flight flight to Vegas, right? I hope. Maybe. At Fitzgerald underscore Tom Tom Fitzgerald. If Gardner Minshew were a sandwich, what would you be? A hero? Or an Italian sub? So I love Italian subs. So good with like the vinaigrette and the lettuce and tomatoes and mayonnaise and cheese, the salon Oh. Uh, oh. Uh. Oh, I'm going up to the junction to get one. On behalf of at WSU Brady, this is from Totes McStose, who got locked out of his account. Oh, no! Fantasy matchup, WSU versus anyone, anywhere. Uh, I actually like the suggestion you give of West Virginia at the big house, because I've always wanted to go to the big house, never been able to go. But I'd love to watch WSU play that. Remember that game they used to play in Ireland? Every once in a while, like, between Notre Dame and Navy or Navy and someone, like, I think, B.C. one year? Yes, there you go. Also, another one with a sign. Of, <laughs> Chances this sign isn't allowed in the Reese. There's a free mustache rides for the Beaver logo with Gardner Minshew. Pretty decent. Pretty decent. That's not allowed. Uh, at Kook Buddy, John. Taking my daughter and her boyfriend to dinner in Pullman in Moscow. Where should I take them that would not be too overwhelming or too much pressure for the couple? I don't know what... Uh, pressure is kind of... I don't know what you mean by that. But we went to Paradise Creek Brewing uh, last weekend. I really enjoyed their food. I thought it was really good. Their Reuben was really good. And they serve a... I got a salad instead of fries because I'm watching my girlish figure. And uh, instead of just putting the side salad on the plate with the Reuben, they put it on a different plate on the plate. I thought that was a little odd, but whatever. Uh, at Coogs Zuku, which game did you realize Wolf wasn't the guy for the job? Uh, nice to nothing against USC. Nice to nothing. That would, that would Right about around there. Or about that Oregon State game in 2011 where... We found out in uh, a book I read. I can't remember the name of it now, but uh, the system is what the book's called. That uh, Bill Moose made the call to Mike Leach after that game, too, like I thought he should have. Washington State, 48. Oregon State, 28. Uh, WSU's offense is just too much for this Oregon State defense. But they will pick up some rushing yards, so I wouldn't wouldn't worry too much about that if you see it. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks for taking the bye week off on the Cook Center Hour.